Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. We pray for our kids as they go. We have, uh, we have some ministries that happen in our church uh, on a regular basis that, that many of you maybe not uh, are aware of or, or don't even see uh, during the week. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite uh, ministries happens on Wednesday night, All In Youth. Um, Lavelle's been leading that so well, and um, Derek's a part of that as well, and some others of you. Um, a, another ministry some of you may not be aware of or as aware of is uh, for over 40 years, there's been a ministry to the deaf community uh, in our church. They meet at the very same time that we meet, uh, just up on the third floor. Two weeks ago, there was an access bus that dropped uh, somebody off who was visiting that, uh, our deaf church, we call it, uh, for the first time. And not only was he deaf, but he was blind. And I thought, wow, how's this going to work? And so I led him uh, upstairs, and we have somebody in our deaf church who then sign, does sign language into his hand so that they can study the word together, so they can build relationship with each other. Pretty phenomenal, huh? So there's a lot of ministries that happen apart from just our, our gathering here on, on Sunday morning. And uh, if you're newer to our church next Sunday, Jessica already mentioned this, but um, we invite you to, to have lunch with us and kind of hear more about the vision and, and values of our church. You know, as we just prayed, um, if ever we've needed to hear from Jesus, it's today. It's now. There's so many competing voices, so many things that are pulling at our affections, and, I, and none of us are immune to those things. You have, you and I, uh, probably we all have our favorite talk radio that we listen to, or our favorite cable news source, or our favorite blog that we read. All of those things serve to form us, to, to point our affections and our perspective in a certain way. And unfortunately, most of those are not godly. Uh, they're not. They're just not. Uh, whether it's your favorite political party or your favorite cable news program, they may use the language of God. They may use faith uh, phrases. Um, but whenever, they're, when, whenever you listen carefully, you realize, well, they're not approaching these things the same way that Jesus approached them. Not, not even close. And so as a, as a church that lives in a country that is being bombarded by so many different messages, for some of you, this morning is the only time this entire week that you're actually going to hear what Jesus has to say. And I'm not saying that as if it's a good thing. Because if this is the only time that you're going to hear from Jesus and the rest of your weeks, the rest of your days, you're hearing from sources that are actually opposed to the ways of Jesus, then what do you think is really influencing you? And and, and I'm not saying this because I'm immune to this, um, but I'm saying it as as a reminder to all of us to be aware of the influences that we're putting in our lives. This young man that went to take lives in Buffalo, he had been discipled. And he had been discipled to the point where he grabbed a hold of what he had been hearing and he said, now I have a purpose and a mission. And that purpose and mission is to kill black people. He he didn't just wake up and think that. He had been taught that. He'd been taught that subtly and overtly. And we're we're in danger at church from being influenced by the same kind of ungodly Rhetoric, And so we need to guard ourselves. And so one of the reasons that we open the word every Sunday is because we want to hear not from, uh, from 
what some pundit says or our favorite political party. We want to know, God, what do you say? Who are you? Who are you? And so this morning, we're looking at Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 4, or verse 14 through 29. And uh, the, the words are not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read them here in just a minute. But if you have a Bible, you can open it yourself and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles right uh, on the pews in front of you. If you're upstairs, there's some kind of stacked up there. We want you to take one. Um, there's no reason not to have a Bible, and we want to make sure that you have one yourself. So Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And uh, we're going to hear from Jesus, but we're also going to hear from some people that are just like us. People that wrestle with doubt about their faith, wrestle with unbelief and whether Jesus really is present, he can really do the things that he says he can do. And this morning, we're going to be challenged by God's word, hopefully encouraged as well. So Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, if you were to use some words this morning to describe your Christian faith, what words would you use what would you, what phrases would come up if somebody would say, hey, describe your Christian faith? Maybe like the, the, the man in this story would be, oh, 50 <laughs> 50. I, I believe, but wow, there's some things I'm not sure about. Maybe you would say, I'm all in. I don't understand it all, but I am focused and committed and dedicated. Maybe some of us would say, my Christian faith, well, it exists between 10.30 and noon on Sundays. (laughs) There's a wide range of experiences in this room. There's a wide range of uh, ways that we came to our faith and that we live out our faith and that we would share our faith with others. Some of us might ask as we think about our faith, well, how much room is there for doubt 
to be a Christian? At what point does a lack of confidence mean I don't actually believe? How much faith is enough faith? Our scripture passage this morning shines a light on this tension that exists between faith and doubt. We see this as it's displayed with this father's response. And we also see in our passage this morning how when we live a life that is not connected to the object of our faith, the things don't happen as they should. So this scene from Jesus' life, it starts with an argument. Jesus comes down, if you remember the story before, he'd been with three disciples up on a mountain, and he comes down to the rest of his disciples, and he sees them arguing with the teachers of the law. And Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And the father steps forward and he says, well, I asked your disciples to drive out this spirit in my son, but they could not do it. So we quickly get the answer that there's something happening that the disciples, their inability to help this father, then these religious uh, leaders of the law swooped in, they began to start an argument. What were they arguing about? Well, maybe it was, hey, you guys are with Jesus, right? Yeah, I'm sure that he really uh, has given you the same authority that he had. You guys are just, just little weak followers of his. And they were probably trying to explain, like, no, no, we've actually done this before. If you remember in the earlier in Mark's gospel account, the, the disciples have been sent out and they'd healed people and they'd cast out demons before. So there's probably there was some kind of some kind of debate coming on. Jesus comes down and says the crowd that was gathered around watching this debate, because everybody likes a fight, right? It says all of a sudden they realize Jesus is there. And that their focus shifts to, to the wonder of who Jesus is. So why couldn't the disciples do what they had done before? Well, Jesus gives a clue in how he responds. He says, you unbelieving generation. So the issue seems to be that the disciples just didn't have faith as they went to help this father. So Jesus is about to unveil something about faith to everybody in, that's involved in this situation, both the father who's wrestling with doubt and the disciples who were unable to do what they had done before. He's about to, to unveil that faith is it's more than just some kind of internal attitude, but it's about a personal focus and trust. Now, I, I grew up in a, in a church that, that was kind of a, uh, what we call the name it and claim it faith. So if you just spoke something into existence, then it's going to happen. I'm going to be blessed. T today, when I go home, there's going to be money in my bank account that wasn't there. I declare it, we'd say in my church. And then we go home, and we look at our bank account, and it was still negative, And we thought, I just don't have enough faith. Maybe if I say it a little louder, maybe if I exercise that internal muscle of faith, then things will happen. I thought that faith was actually about me. Something that, like a muscle, that if I just exercised it enough, things would happen. And Jesus is about to show that faith is not about us, it's about him. It's about the object of our faith. Uh, uh, I have four kids, and just recently my youngest kid, uh, the he was the last one. The training wheels came off the bike. 
And actually, just a, a day before the training wheels come off the bike, one of the training wheels, like the, the plastic, they're like plastic wheels, it literally just like started to unravel. Because his two brothers and sister had, had put that thing through the ringer for you know, the years before them. And riding a bike's interesting, right? Uh, when, you're, when you're a little kid, there's a lot of fear. You're like, two wheels to balance this thing and go fast? No chance. And so parents put training wheels on bikes so that kids have that, that confidence that they can do what the bike was designed to do. You'll never buy a bike. Uh, the original design of a bike wasn't meant to have training wheels, right? It's designed with two wheels in mind, and, and the, pedal, the force of the pedals, it is designed to go. And, and by its nature, yeah, you have to balance, but it almost balance, bikes almost balance themselves when you learn how to ride them. And so my son, uh, there's all sorts of things at play, but he had to have faith, first of all, that a bike is going to do what it's going to do. And he had to have faith that, that if he used it in the right way, he wouldn't wipe out constantly. Now, kids wipe out, right? And eventually what happens, and you've probably seen this before with kids, is eventually uh, if the training wheels are on long enough, they, they start to get bent up. And kids are actually riding on two wheels before they ever realize it. <laughs> you've seen this before. I remember, uh, you know, with some of my older kids, it's like, no, you're good. I'm going to take the training wheels off. No, don't do that. I'll wipe out. And like, you don't even know. You don't even know. The bike is, it's designed to work in this way, and it is working in that way. Ultimately, with my son and with all of us, it's, the training wheels, it's not really about the training wheels. It's not really even about the ability. It's about knowing that the bicycle works. You put your trust in how it's designed. And that's why they say to this day, once you learn how to ride a bike, right, it's always, you always know. In fact, we have a, a, a phrase that we'll say uh, in our culture. It's just like riding a bike. We'll use that to indicate anything that we've done before. You, you won't forget it. You got it. Faith is like this. We don't always understand how the thing works. We often can see it, like we can apprehend faith before we can fully comprehend it. Uh, if every kid would only ride on a bike if they knew exactly how the science uh, of, of a bicycle worked, how kinetic motion would keep them upright, then no kids wouldn't be riding their bike till they were 25, right? But kids see how the bike works. They can apprehend that it's, that it's safe enough, <laughs> and then they do it. And that's how faith is so many times. It, we apprehend it before we comprehend it. We can, we can kind of grab a hold of it before we know all the details of how it works. So after the boy is brought to Jesus, his father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, at first, it seems like the father has almost no faith at this point. But Jesus probes a little bit. And he says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, could it be that the father was wrestling with his faith because the disciples had already failed? Maybe. Maybe it's because he's been praying for his son his entire life. And he's just not sure if Jesus really has that kind of power. No matter what the past may be, though, he's not completely on empty. This father comes, and where his response, I think, to this interaction resonates with so much of us. He says, I do believe. Help me 
overcome my unbelief. Have you ever felt like this before when you've prayed? Maybe you're there this morning. In fact, I think all of us are in a certain way. All of us, are, we live in this tension somewhere between belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief. So we ask the question, how much faith, how much faith is enough? How much faith is enough? To answer that question, we look at stories, examples in God's word. There's this moment where Jesus is on the cross just about to die, and there's a thief on the cross, and the thief recognizes the true nature and identity of Jesus. And Jesus says, today you're going to be with me. You're going to be with me. The thief didn't know very much, but he knew just enough to recognize Jesus. There's another story of a woman at the well, and she has this interaction with Jesus, and Jesus tells her about her past, and then she goes and she begins to tell other people about Jesus. She didn't know everything about Jesus, but she knew just enough. Earlier in Mark's gospel account, Jesus heals a man who had been demon-possessed and been living in a graveyard. He experienced the power of Jesus, and Jesus then says, now I want you to go tell others about me in 10 different cities. He didn't know everything, but he knew just enough, enough to obey, enough to respond. And here the father has just enough faith to say, I do believe, while also acknowledging that he doesn't think he's where he needs to be. He, doesn't, he still has unbelief. And that was enough. It was enough for Jesus to heal him. Do you feel this tension? You feel this tension of, of faith of belief and unbelief, and so much of our world has these tension points. You know, we live, I think, in one of the most beautiful parts of the country, parts of the world. One of the things that makes the Pacific Northwest so beautiful is it rains so stinking much. <laughs> the reason it's so green is that rain just won't stop falling. I remember the first summer that we, we, we lived here, I thought this, is, this was the perfect summer. It was like between 75 and 85 degrees all summer. Every morning I was waking up to blue skies. Even if it was only six weeks long, it was the perfect summer. <laughs> we feel this tension, right? I mean, there's a, there's a reason why Christmas lights really only look good in winter. Because the nights are so long, right? They, they, they show us something beautiful, they just don't work when you live in Hawaii. And I lived in Hawaii during Christmas. Just didn't have the same feeling. It's always beautiful there. And so when we think about faith and doubt, sometimes we get so overwhelmed because we don't think we're, we're where we should be. And so we think that's an indicator that we should just give up. That's an indicator that we don't have faith or we don't have enough faith. And that is just not what we see in Scripture. Faith is not uh, an internal muscle. It is not just a feeling that you have. Faith always has this tension that exists within it. If, 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 it weren't, if, there, if that wasn't true, then we wouldn't call it faith, would we? Faith always has a tension in it. One of the most famous uh, doubters uh, from Jesus' inner circle was one of his own disciples, a guy named Thomas, 
who very unfairly, I think, was labeled as Doubting Thomas. If you know the story, Jesus had just uh, rose from the grave and he appears to his disciples and Thomas is like, I don't know that's you. Like, show me, show me the wounds in your side. Show me the, the nails in your hands. He wasn't quite sure if it was Jesus. But again, just like the father, he had enough faith to ask the question, didn't he? If it really is you, show me these things. Just like this father, I do believe, but I need you to meet me in my doubt. I need you to help me with my unbelief. Right after Thomas' doubt is met by Jesus, Jesus then says to Thomas, he says these words, you'll find it in John 20, 29. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. That's us. For those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we are blessed. It is a blessing to believe in Jesus. Even though we didn't get to see him when he was here on earth 2,000 years ago. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. Each of our stories of faith is unique, but one thing that is true is that for almost everyone, faith is, again, something we apprehend before we fully comprehend. Maybe some of you responded to Jesus at a setting just like this. At the end of the message, the pastor said, if you are ready to place your what? Place your faith in Jesus. Come on down. How much faith do you need to do that in that moment? Just enough to walk forward, right? Some of you, maybe it was a moment alone uh, where God just got a hold of you and you, you prayed to him, Lord, I need you. Would, you. would you make yourself known to me? It doesn't take much faith. And all of us have responded to Jesus, all of us that have responded to Jesus, had enough faith for him to meet us where we were at. So we talk about faith. We talk about it. it's like riding a bike. We don't quite know how it works, but we get on and it works. Or it's like flying a plane. Some of you are freaked out to fly in planes. I know Jose right here, I was getting to know Jose. Him and his wife Macy are newer to church. He works at Boeing right down the field. He tells me he just drills holes in the plane. And I was like, those holes then have something affixed to them, right? Yeah, he's like, yes, the holes don't lay, you know, stay open as you fly. We don't know how the planes work. We don't know how they're all put together. If you want to know, you can ask Jose. But we know that they work, right? We put faith in those things. But faith in Jesus is more than that. It's more than just like a faith in an object, an inanimate object that has been designed and created. Faith in Jesus is based on relationship. It's based on love. And then it's presented to us as something that we believe, that we receive, and that we live. Something that we walk out. I'll tell you, a lot of times over the years, I've talked to, to people that have been in, kind of in and out of church. And, uh, and they're coming back. They're saying, okay, I'm, I'm ready to really, to really live out my faith, to, to, to make it my own, and to, to walk in a new way. And as we get to know each other, sometimes I'll say, I'll say hey, have you, you know, been baptized before? And they say, yeah, I was baptized, but, you know, it was, it was two years ago, and I was just kind of not living in a, in, a, in a good place. And so I think I need to be Rebaptized, And here's, the, here's the, the, the thing. I always push back on this, and I'm not opposed to it, but I push back on it. Because the idea that we have to start our relationship 
over is not something what we see in Scripture. What we do see in Scripture is we see a, a bunch of people that fail and God extends grace and mercy to them. He never kicks them out of the relationship. Now, we may wander like a prodigal, but he always receives us back. So, so today, if that's you, if you're like, uh, my faith isn't where I want it to be, I, mean, I need to do something. No, you don't need to do something. You need to just be something. You need to be a son and a daughter. You need to receive the grace anew, yes. You need to maybe take some steps of obedience, yes. But again, it is not something that you have done that makes you right with God. It's what he's done. So how do we approach Jesus in faith today? How do we approach Jesus in faith today? Before we answer that question, let's circle back to the question of why the disciples couldn't cast out the demons themselves. Why couldn't they do it? After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Some translations include fasting in that, but either way, fasting and prayer indicate one thing. What what does fasting and prayer indicate? Relationship, yes. Indicates relationship. It indicates also a dependence on God because we don't ask God for things that we think we can do ourselves, right? I got this, God. So there's a very good chance that the disciples, because they had done some of these things before in the past, they thought in their mind, I got this, God. That muscle's strong enough. I don't need you to help me with this one, which is absurd because it's a demon. It's a spiritual demon demonic force in this young man. But they had forgotten the source of their power. A prayerless faith is a powerless faith. A prayerless faith is a powerless faith. This last Friday, Alex and Lavelle led us into a time of prayer from 6 to 10 p.m. And some of you all, when you heard that time, is that four hours of prayer? How is that possible? Because for some of us, we can't give 20 seconds of prayer. It was a powerful time. We listened to God. That's part of prayer. We asked God questions. That's part of prayer. God responded. That's part of prayer. A prayerless faith is a powerless one. So when Jesus says these demons only come out by prayer, what he's indicating is that yesterday's faith isn't enough for today's challenges. Yesterday's faith isn't enough for today's challenges. This is illustrated in the, in the Exodus when there was fresh bread every morning and God said, only take what you need for today. Those that took more the next morning they found out it had spoiled. Yesterday's faith is not enough for today's challenges. And this is how faith grows cold and how doubts grow when we get disconnected from God relationally. And then our our Christian faith becomes like this transactional thing. Okay, I'm a Christian. I I can feel like a good Christian this week because I went to Sunday morning. What does your house look like? What does your home look like? How are you teaching your children about, about the ways of the Lord? How are you demonstrating patience and grace and mercy in your home? How about with your coworkers? Is your faith there as well? How about at your schools? Does your faith have any influence on your schools? How about in your relationships? 
If faith is just relegated to this transactional piece, it's not relationship-based. It's like anything else. Just something we do. And so the disciples, they become disconnected from their power source. And the scary part was they didn't even realize it. How did this happen? Why couldn't we do it? Jesus was very kind with them, wasn't he? Well, he had said, you unbelieving generation earlier. So maybe he wasn't that kind. They didn't even realize it. You know, I'm, I'm coaching my son's flag football team. And uh, I'll tell you what, it, I, I've never been so emotional about flag football before. Um, uh, Sunday, this morning, we, we played last night. And we got beat pretty good. Uh, <laughs> this morning, I woke up just like feeling like, oh, man, I let my team down. If I would have called this play instead. But you know what's interesting is invariably, at least one or two times a game, I call the play for, for our team, and they get half the play. They get half the play. So it's a, uh, yesterday it happened. It was a running play. Hand the ball off to, to little Jimmy, okay? <laughs> and they hike the ball and drop back, and everybody runs out for a pass, and the play doesn't go well, right? And so much of our faith is like that. We get half the play right. And this is what the disciples said. They had half the play right. We're going to go and we're going to do these things for Jesus, but we're disconnected from the power. We're disconnected from the relationship. And so as followers of Jesus, we have direct access to the creator of the universe. The one that Hebrews 12 says is the author and perfecter of our faith. We're not the author. We're not the perfecter. And so why wouldn't we want to stay connected with him in prayer. Corey Ten Boom, she has this, this great quote, uh, and she says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Like, do you only pray when, when things are going well and when you realize you're powerless? Or is prayer directing your life, even when things are going well? Even when you think you know where you're going, are you praying about it? This is convicting to me, too. I, 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 I can tell when I pray enough as I'm preparing a sermon and I don't pray enough. So we don't get to see Jesus like the father in this story or the first disciples did. But we have the same access to the source of our faith as the disciples did. Access to Jesus through prayer. So we, we, we often think, well, if I could have been there, if I, if I could see Jesus face to face, my faith would look different. Well, these same disciples saw Jesus on the regular, and they still needed to be in prayer. They still needed to be in prayer. Prayer is the primary way that our faith is built. Let's say that again. Prayer is the primary way that our faith is built. It's not a spare tire. Prayer builds our relationship with God. It grows our trust, which is an aspect of faith in God. It reminds us where our provision comes from. And prayer gives us the perspective we need. So when you are watching your favorite news channel or you're scrolling your favorite social media, if you are in prayer, you will recognize the things that are not of God. Prayer gives us the perspective that we need. So the cry of the desperate father is still expressed today. I believe, help me. Help me in my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this cry comes from a place of faith. 
but it also acknowledges the very real struggle of our Christian lives, that it's not always easy. Pastor Dwight L. Moody said there were three kinds of faith, and I'll close with this. He says there is a struggling faith, like a person in deep water, desperately swimming. Maybe that's you this morning. There is a clinging faith, like a person hanging to the side of the boat. And there's a resting faith, like a person safely within the boat, able to reach out and help others get in. And in this room, in this church family, there are people that are in each of those states of faith, a struggling faith, a clinging faith, and a resting faith. And the stories of Jesus and the gospel of Mark are meant to lead us to a resting faith. But we can't get there without Jesus. The origin of our faith isn't some underworked mental muscle. We didn't create it, we don't build it, and we certainly don't sustain it. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the origin of our faith. And life is tough, and it's full of storms, and you might find yourself in a place of resting faith until the storm comes. But hopefully, even in that moment, you know which direction to swim. You know where to cling. I want you to know this morning that Jesus isn't intimidated by your doubts. And I'm so thankful that neither my failures or my doubts diminish the truth of who Jesus is. It wasn't about the disciples. It was about Jesus. And he showed up and he came through. So this morning, we're reminded that the way to grow our faith and to hold fast to our faith is through prayer. Prayer is our reminder that the object of our faith, Jesus, has all the power. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I'm going to have Aaron and Tiffany come up this morning. We're going to close with this song. But before we do, I'm going to ask you just where you're sitting, to turn to one or two people and take a moment in prayer and just pray for each other's faith. We can all acknowledge we're not where we want to be, amen? We all need to overcome our unbelief. And so just right where you're at, turn, turn to one or two people next to you and huddle up and just pray and ask that God would give the people next to you more faith. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary, and I will give you rest. And Father, this morning, we need that rest. Lord, would you lead us into a resting faith, a faith where you are our comforter, where you are our provider, where you change our perspective, Father, where we have the end in sight, the end that you promise, which is good. And Father, in the meantime, we wrestle, but we wrestle knowing that you are with us. And so, Father, would you grow our faith? Would we be a people of faith that trust you with all things? Jesus, where we are weak, you promise to be strong. Where we are needy, you promise to provide. And, Lord God, we hold on to those promises today. And we also remember, Father, what you have done in the past. This is not an empty faith. This is not a faith without reason or without purpose. It is a faith built on who you are, what you've done, and that you are a God that keeps his promises. 
You are the rock on which our life is built. And so we go from this place, Father, in confidence and trust and faith. Would you continue to meet us? In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to sing this last song. You join with, with me as you feel ready. And it's just a declaration of who God is, what he's done. And knowing what he's done allows us to keep our feet on a place that is so secure today, to trust him in faith. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.